Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So we're going to do something a little bit different, at least for me. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask Caesar and Rob just to stay up here, and I'm just going to speak for a few minutes. Um, this is not what I planned on sharing at all, but I feel it's just being obedient to what the Lord is doing right now. And, uh, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to share a, a section of Scripture here, and then we're going to, we're going to just pray. Um, I feel like we, we just need to stay in what the Lord's doing. And I feel if I were to go into what, what the Lord, I believe, is stirring in my heart outside of this, I just, I just this is not the timing for that. Um, Jackie had handouts. This is the second time this has happened. I think it's the handouts are, are just cursed. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe we'll come back. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we've been talking about with the fear of the Lord is one of the greatest ways to really grow in the fear of God. I mean, the right fear of God is, is to have encounters with, with God himself. It's... It's all throughout Scripture when man encounters God. I mean, really meets with God. The only natural response is there's a trembling that touches the heart of man, and he's changed forever. There's a holy fascination that grips him, and I, I feel that, man, there is more. There, like, we're just beginning to touch what Lord is doing here and wanting us to really, really meet with him. And what I felt as we were worshiping is that we actually were worshiping, I think, through Isaiah 6 which is we began with the holiness of God, and then it led into, Lord, send me. <laughs> Lord, Lord, I, I'll, I'll give you my yes. And I, re I really just want to read through Isaiah 6, and however, I don't know how the Lord will, will open this thing up, and then we're going to have a prayer team come up, and we're going to pray that we're going to give the Lord our yes, okay? What he's already started. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, Isaiah 6. get the prayer team ready. You know, Pastor Crystal and I, one of the things we've really been feeling, we've been really establishing the house of prayer, but we, we, we're really feeling a, a, a burden too, a healthy burden to really go. There, there's the come before the Lord and then there's the bringing the kingdom. And when we start seeing God rightly, it's, it's, the, only, it's the only right response when we see him. When, when Jesus resurrected and the tomb was empty and the disciples had come in, the angel of the Lord invited him and says, come and see. And he says, now go and tell. And the going and telling comes from the, the, the coming and seeing. And I want us to just to see the Lord for a moment and in all that he is and his holiness. So Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would open your word. And that you would cause us to tremble at your word this morning. Because it is an extension of who you are. So God, I pray for holy trembling. What you're doing right now, I pray, I pray for it to increase. We ask for more, more, more. The glory of the Lord, we ask for more. In Jesus' name. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. Isaiah is one of the most famous prophets 
And he is in the literal temple as he has this vision. And it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died. Now King Uzziah is not the greatest king of Israel. David and others would probably have that claim in, in terms of an earthly king. But King Uzziah is most likely up there in the top five. And he had been known for 52 years. He led the people. And there was economic reform, and he built structures, and he grew out the, uh, the military, and there was, there was prosperity that had hit this nation under the leadership of Uzziah. He had his faults and failures, but ultimately he was a leader that the people looked to. And Isaiah is in the temple, and it says, in the year that this leader had died. I wasn't alive for the assassination of John F. Kennedy, but I know that he was beloved. And when people heard that news, there was a real groaning. There was a real heartache that their leader had, had been taken. Can you imagine someone for 52 years who had led the people? In a moment, now he's gone. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that this earthly king had passed away, Isaiah is going to have now a vision of the eternal king. In the year that the earthly king had died, he now sees the eternal king. Every earthly king has an expiration date, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. And Isaiah is getting locked into this eternal holy being. In fact, John, in the Gospel of John, John says that what, he, what Isaiah saw was actually a vision of Christ himself. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, when the, when the nation seemed to be shaken, Isaiah said, I saw the eternal one seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And you have to understand what he's seeing in this, in this, in this temple is it's about to say that the train of his robe filled the temple. He's not seeing this itty-bitty Jesus. It's not like he's saying faintly, I think I see one way out there on a throne. He's saying, I see this one who's seated on the throne, which is in heaven, yet the train of his robe is filling the temple that is on earth. He's seeing this massive, glorious being who's seated in heaven, and on earth is his train of his robe. It's heaven and earth becoming one in this man. And so let's read it again. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And we've shared this before, but it's worth noting that in these days, the size of a king's robe meant a lot. For it was said that when a king would go to battle, when they would defeat another king, they would cut off a piece of that defeated king's robe, and they would actually sew it to their garment. And the longer that a king's robe was, it spoke to all the victories that they had. So when Isaiah sees this king who's seated in the heavens, but the train of his robe is filling the temple, I want you to picture this. Imagine right now, Jesus' is, is, is robe, it's like flowing all through this temple right now. It's throwing in this tent, and it speaks to the one who has all victory. This is why the woman who had the bleeding issue, bleeding issue she just had to touch the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Every victory is found in Jesus. Every single victory. 
The train of his robe filled the temple. And verse 2 says, And above him stood the seraphim. Now these are some of the most highest, holiest, angelical beings. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And verse 3 says, And one called to another and said this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now one of the things that's fascinating about this is that in the Hebrew language, they do not have what's called exclamation points. And so if you want to know how the Hebrew writers would reinforce a point. If you want to know how they put emphasis on something, they would do it through the repetition of words. The Greeks would do this as well. This is why Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. What he's trying to say is this is true. Do you know that there is only one characteristic regarding God that is repeated three times in a row? Only one characteristic. It's that he's holy, holy, holy. It is as if if we could see it in English language, there would be a hundred exclamation points that follow this. Isaiah sees one high and lifted up, seated on the throne. The train of his robe fills the temple, and the most holy angelical beings are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then verse 4 says, and the foundations of the thresholds, meaning the literal temple, its foundations, shook at the voice of him who called. Can you imagine this scene? Isaiah seeing this being, and when he hears these holy seraphim crying out, holy, 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 they can't even look upon him. He's so holy, they cover their eyes. It says that the temple that he's in begins to shake because every single thing trembles before the holy presence of God. Man trembles, the heavens and the earthquake, the seas roar, and literal buildings shake before this holy one. Oh, we've said it over and over. God, restore a tremble to your bride. Lord, open the eyes of our heart, even right now, that we would see who you really are. Lord, that whether or not we physically quake, inwardly there is something that begins to shake. God, we need awe to be restored back in this body to restore it back in your bride. I pray we'd be gripped. We'd be gripped with who you are. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The same smoke that came on Mount Sinai. This is the glory of God is here. Beloved, do you know that we are the temple of the living God? God wants to consume us. When the glory of God fell in 2 Chronicles on Solomon's temple, it says the glory was so strong, there was fire and smoke that the priest could not enter in. But in the book of Acts, it says when the glory of God fell and filled the house, the disciples were in the house because of the covering of Christ. Jesus' blood was shed not so that a building can be filled now, but so that we can be consumed by his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And look what Isaiah says. And Isaiah said, 
Verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Listen, nothing, nothing removes the glitter. Nothing removes the, the shallowness and the hollowness that we can often see. Nothing, nothing will show how something can be so plastic than getting before the presence of God. This is why we're so bent on gathering around Jesus. Because once we encounter the glory of the Lord in the way that's happening here, we are ruined to ever be satisfied with a Sunday experience. We say, we want this. We want all that Jesus died for. And he said, woe is me. Every time a man encounters the Lord, he's laid low. You, you, we need humility to be restored in the house of God. How we, Once we encounter him and the fear of God touches our hearts, every man is brought low in a glorious way. We're not weak, but we're low. We're humble. We become actually bold as a lion, but as gentle as a lamb. There's something about seeing who he is that he lays us low. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah didn't see this before. This is fascinating. This means we can go about the daily rhythms of our life and not realize some of the things and the issues going on in our life. But when we come before the Holy One, His glorious light begins to just shine on all these things. And then he says this, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The holy presence of God not only revealed to Isaiah his true state apart from the Lord, but it revealed the true state of the culture that he lived in. Guys, this is what we need. (laughs) This is what we need. We, We need the holy presence of God so that we can see rightly what's going on in our culture. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You can't learn this in a textbook. You can't manufacture this. This type of, we need the brokenness See, when we counter his holiness, what's about to happen to Isaiah is his heart is now going to be gripped with the brokenness of what he's seeing around here. All of a sudden, he can't walk past anymore because he sees who God is. And because we were made in the image of our creator, he sees the effects that sin has had on this earth. And therefore, there is now a burden gripping his heart, recognizing what it really was supposed to look like. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, And here's the gospel. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Man, this this is the baptism of fire with Jesus. Listen, God does, the, real, the reason why God reveals these things is not to leave us there. And then he invites us to get a touch from his Holy One. To be clothed by Jesus. To step into a baptism of fire that begins to weed out all of these things. That we would be truly a burning light. A city set on a hill. That we'd be set apart. Not running from this world in it, but distinct from it. 
Verse 6, let's read it again. He said, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had, t- that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. We've been worshiping this morning over the holiness of God. And Isaiah is encountering the Holy Eternal One And as he's being shaken from the inside out, he's not just developing form and language. He's being shaken from the inside out. Verse 8. Here's the response. The holy commissioning. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I feel like what we're hearing this morning, we are... Through the, through the gift of tongues and interpretation, through the prophetic act that, uh, that Dina led us into, the Lord is, I feel like he's saying, who shall I send? Guys, Jesus, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Which means when me and you walk into a room, the solution is there. Jesus is not walking on this earth anymore in the sense of his physical body, but he is in that he lives in us. The hope of glory is in me and you. If we say, why is there darkness? Why are these things happening? The answer would be, well, whom shall I send? Whom will go? Whom will give me their yes? Whom will lay down their life for the one who laid down everything for them? Man, I feel the Lord is just saying, like, no more silence. No more silence. To be bold for him. The fear of God, the fear of God crushes the fear of man. This is what's happening. He's encountering the Lord in such a way that he's, it's crushing the fear of man. Here's what, here's what I'll tell you. This is what I need in my life and I feel like in our lives. We need to be delivered from the fear of man. And what delivers us from the fear of man is the fear of God. Nothing silences the man-pleasing spirit more than when we see God rightly. God wants to deliver us from building our lives on the opinions and expectations of others, which robs us from stepping fully into what God has for us. Because before we step in, we're constantly rehearsing in our mind, well, what will they think? What will they say? What will they do? When God's already spoken and said, go. God's already spoken and said, go. And I can tell you right now, the greatest blessing that you and I could ever be in this generation is to get delivered from the opinions of this generation. Because if we're not careful, we'll be so bound by what people think, it muzzles our mouth from stepping in and sharing what is the truth. And before you know it, we're not even hearing from God anymore because we're so bound by the man-pleasing spirit. Isaiah would have been bound by this. Man of fear. But when he encounters the Lord, he says, I will go, right? I will go. Guys, the, 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 the fear of man, man, it's, it's a crippling disease that touches the heart. I, I, I mean, every single one of us in some form or fashion have felt this. In some form or fashion, we deal with it. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul was given a command to essentially wipe out King Agag and his army and all of his cattle and oxen. But Saul did not do that. 
Because Saul said the people wanted the best of the cattle and the oxen, and so he preserved them as well as King Agag. When Samuel came and confronted him, Saul deflected for a minute before he finally said, you know what, it's true. I have sinned against God, and this was his reason, for I feared the people. For I feared the people. Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate knew in his heart that Jesus was innocent, yet he would not release him out of fear of the people. He was more consumed by the approval of man that even though he knew something was in his heart that was right, he couldn't fully step in because of the fear of man. Peter, in in Galatians 2, Peter was sitting having fellowship with Gentiles, and when the Jews came, it says the circumcision group, he withdrew from the Gentiles out of fear of the circumcision group. And Paul had to confront him to his face and say, what's happened? This is not the power of the gospel. Amazing, Peter is the one who had the open vision with food on a blanket saying, take and eat. You can now be in fellowship with a Gentile. Even this man who had that, the fear of God, the fear of man was so strong that even he felt the pull on his heart. But the Lord, the Lord is delivering Isaiah here from the fear of man. And every other thing that may plague his heart that the only thing he cares about now is doing what God has asked him to do. So verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And Isaiah gave the Lord his yes. And I don't know what that necessarily looks like for each and every one of us this morning, but I feel the Lord, again, is inviting us to give him our yes. And he's not asking us to do it in our own strength. He will provide every single thing that we need to fully step into what he's called us to do. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. really feel the Lord right now. My heart was being served with these things, but now I'm really feeling the Lord and seeing this connection over the fear of man and God wanting to break it. Am I alone in that, or does anyone else just feel that there's some anointing on that? I want to share this verse, Proverbs 29, verse 25. If you want it, I know you're standing, but if you want to grab your Bible, I just, I'm going to share this now. Proverbs 29, verse 25. And this is what it says. 
says the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And the scriptures actually say that he who fears God will put his trust in it. So it's actually saying, do you know how you get delivered from the fear of man? It's the fear of God. It's when we stop rehearsing what man may think and say, and we get delivered from building our lives and the expectations of man and start coming rooted in the opinions of God. And say, if he spoke it, then I will live in that. And it says, the fear of man lays a snare. And this word has got my heart so gripped Because a snare, there's a few things about this, guys, and I want to I pray. I want to pray for the fear of man to be broken and that we would say, Lord, here I am, send me. And here's one of the things about a snare. What makes a snare effective is that it's disguised. You do not easily see a snare. And every single one of us in some form or fashion feel the pull and the effects of the fear of man. The problem is that we're calling it something different so we don't actually see it for what it is. And because we're not properly diagnosing it, we're not giving the proper prescription, which is that the fear of God needs to touch our lives. We even give the fear of man virtuous titles. We say, I'm the servant of all. But what's really happening is I can't say no to anyone. I'm bound by being overworked and overcommitting myself because I'm afraid of, dispro- of the, the disapproval of someone else. We say things like, evangelism is not my calling, and I don't want to get in the way of someone else stepping in what they have, but really what it, what it is is there's actually a fear of man to step out. We call it people-pleasing. We call it codependency, peer pressure. We call it need for affirmation, low self-esteem, but what it's built on is that actually we fear man and we put his opinions more or higher than the opinions of God. And one of the other things about a snare is that it doesn't necessarily kill you when it traps an animal. It it holds you. It traps you. One of the number one cripplers in the body of Christ is the fear of man. Not because it kills you, but it prevents you from stepping in all that God has for you. Like there's things that we sense in our heart that God is calling us to do, but we just don't fully step in out of fear of what someone else may think or say or how they will respond. So we don't move forward. And listen, if Satan, if he can't, he can't sever you from the body of Christ. So what he will seek to do is try to dislocate you. What, what do I mean? The arm can be attached to the body. You're still part of the body of Christ. But if my arm is dislocated, it's not functioning properly. And so he can't sever you from the body of Christ. You're connected by the Spirit. But what he seeks to do is dislocate you so that you do not walk in the full function that God has made you. And one of the primary ways that he cripples a man and a woman is by getting the fear of man to keep them bound. The fear of man, it's like a, it's like a thief that, that binds you and robs you from stepping into what the Lord has. And Isaiah was getting delivered from any fear by the fear of God so that he could go. And when you get stuck in a snare, an animal gets stuck. An animal can't get out by itself. It needs someone or something to release it. And this is called grace. 
And the point is that if you are stuck in the cycles of fear of man, you can't break out of it by your own strength or by making enough wise decisions. There's a part for us to play, but ultimately we need something from the outside to deliver us. And God, God wants to deliver us by imparting the fear of God to our hearts, by causing us to see him rightly. That we would say, Lord, here I am, send me. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I don't know who we can have pray, if Willie can come up, the Marinis. Um, as Pastor Andrew was speaking, I felt um, the Lord <clears throat> speaking about the snare, and there was one specific that I wrote down here, and that's uh, that you would be delivered from the religious opinions of others because it's keeping you from obedience to God when the Spirit speaks to you. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, now there's another verse that I want to share. <laughs> comes to mind. Just, just listen to this one. Isaiah 51, verse 12. This is what the Lord, the Lord says something profound here. He's confronting his people, and he says, I... I am he who comforts you. Ready? He says, who are you that you are afraid of man that dies? Or of the son of man who is made like the grass? <laughs> now, I want you to hear this for a moment. When someone walks into a room and we say something like, who does that man or who does that woman think they are? What are we actually saying? We're making a statement that they have an arrogant or prideful demeanor. What the Lord is actually saying, we may not see it at surface level, but when we dig into it, what he's saying is that I, even I, am the one who comforts you. Who are you to fear man? And what he's actually saying is the fear of man may not seem like it, but it's actually rooted in pride. It's rooted in being so self-consumed and self-focused. And so look at his solution, verse 13, it says, you fear man, but have you forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? But you fear continually all day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself up to destroy. What has the Lord done? He's getting them to get their eyes off of themselves and set it on him and how big he is. And I want to just say this. The culture we live in gives a prescription if you struggle with the approval or the praise of man. If you struggle with that, the prescription of the world says, here's what you need to do. All you need to do is learn to love yourself more, and if you love yourself more, you'll eventually get to a point where you won't care what other people think. Now, I am all for loving ourselves more, for God so loved you that he died for you. We probably could all learn to grow in that. But the issue with that prescription is that it's saying if you want to bolster self-confidence or self-esteem, you just need to become more self-conscious. But beloved, that's the issue. We're too self-conscious. We're too self-aware. We're too self-reliant. We're too looking into self. And what God says is you don't need to look more at self. What you need to do is look up at me. Look at who I am. 
We need an encounter like Isaiah that says, oh my goodness, look at who this God is. Because listen, when you get held in the snare of the fear of man, you get trapped there. You get brought into a vicious cycle. A snare is effective because it actually lures you in. It entices you. What is enticing about the fear of man at first? It's the approval of man or the praise of man. And what happens is, guys, if we build our lives primarily off of the approval of man, once that happens, we then have to sustain our identity by the approval of man. And all of a sudden, we get stuck in this cycle. The approval and praise of man is nice, but it's meant to be a spice to the meal, not the meal itself. The meal itself is God's validation over you. But if we exchange that for, for, for man's approval, man, we bite in something that has no substance to it. We got to come out of the vicious cycle of that, but only the fear of God can deliver us. Now, this is kind of in a reverse way, but you see the point of how it can destroy you, the approval of man. Herod wanted to kill John the Baptist because John the Baptist confronted Herod about him being with his brother's wife. But it says Herod could not do it in Matthew 14 because he feared the people because he knew that the people knew that John was a great prophet. So Herod wanted to do something, but he said, I can't because what I care more about killing this man is the approval of man. And later on in Acts 12, Herod gives a speech of which as he's speaking, he must have spoke with great authority and power because the people listening begin to praise him and approve him and say, this is not an ordinary man, this is a God. And rather than Herod saying, no, no, this gifting is actually from God, he received that approval unto himself because that's what he lived by. And it says he, in a moment, was dead. God wants to deliver us from that, that we would be bold. We would be bold. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a few minutes here this morning. And for those of you who'd like, we're going to have the prayer team just lay hands on you. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for encounters with God like Isaiah. And specifically, we're going to pray for the snare of the fear of man to be broken in our life. You can stay where you are in your seat if you want to stay. You don't have to come up and receive prayer. You can come to the altar and not have hands laid on you. But if you feel specifically for people to pray, then we have a prayer team up here. We're just going to ask God to do what only he can do. Yes? So, Lord, Lord, like you did to Isaiah, like you did to Isaiah, I pray right now for God encounters. I pray for the eyes of heart to be opened up. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need to see beyond the natural. And we want to see the Son of Man rightly this morning. We want to see him high and lifted up. We want to see him exalted. We want to see the one who sits in heaven but covers the earth. We want to see the one who even the seraphim have to close their eyes to. We want to see the one who is holy, holy, holy. And we're asking this morning, Holy Spirit, that as eyes get opened up, 
that you would right now break the snare of the fear of man and that there would be a yes in our hearts that say, here I am, send me. God, I pray from this moment forward that you would see a bold people, a courageous people who will go wherever you say to go, who will speak to whoever you say to speak to. We pray against the fear of man that immobilizes us when you call us to action, that gags us when you call us to speak. And we're praying for an anointing right now to break that bondage in Jesus' name. Come, Lord, come. And cause us to see, cause us to see in Jesus' name.